All statements and opinions expressed by guests of the Adult in the Room podcast are strictly their own and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or opinions of the host, producers, or advertisers. All interviews are presented in their most complete possible form in the interests of free speech. No statements should be interpreted as financial, legal, or medical advice. Listener and viewer discretion are strongly advised. It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Another week that we're going to talk about guns. That's right, guns and the legality thereof, the rights that we have in this under the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, and uh, much more because it's all going to hit the fan. Why? Well, as I explained last week, it all has to do with, sure, the Bruin decision, but it also has more to do, I believe, with the Dobbs decision and the left's anger about that and then choosing to lash out in anger at anything that may just cross swords with the left. So that's just it. That's what's going on. Plus, they hate Clarence Thomas, the person who wrote the majority opinion on the Bruin decision, and so much more. But I bring in the expert. And Chuck Michelle of the California Rifle and Pistol Association is that expert. And he's been at the front lines of all of the major gun battles, if you will, in court, in politics, and he's the leader of that organization, the general counsel, and he is a person to, well, if you see his name on a lawyer letter, you might want to, well, you, you probably might want to just take a, take a breath and uh, take it seriously. Chuck Michelle, welcome to the Adult in the Room podcast. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. Thanks for having me. I There's so much to talk about. I guess the general question to begin with would be, what is the state of play currently following the Bruin decision on California and other states' gun rights? Because as goes California, goes the rest of the country. The answer to that is a mouthful because there's a lot going on all across the country. What it comes down to is the folks who want to ban guns eventually disarm, uh, take away essentially all the guns from people because they believe in a, a big government approach to society. Uh, and they think that the government can solve all our problems and we should place our, uh, our, our safety and security in their hands. Uh, they don't like Bruin at all. And there has been a, a nationwide, in all the battleground states, all the blue or purple states, um, backlash, a vindictive and retaliatory backlash uh, orchestrated to a large extent by Michael Bloomberg's Every Town uh, group, and he has a specific group, Every Town Law, that you can look at him on the web on the internet. Uh, that is spoon feeding laws and then helping attorneys generals in those states defend challenges to those laws uh, across the country. So you're seeing uh, in California there was almost half, almost two dozen bills signed by. Governor Newsom the other day. Uh, the two that got the most attention were the sensitive places law that makes it impossible to drive across town with your license to carry a firearm in public without breaking the law because you pass through a gun-free zone that they've newly designated. And the other one was the excise tax. But uh, you're, you're see, you've seen a number of those expansive sensitive places laws where CCWs are, are practically useless across this country. 
and a number of semi-auto bands and a number of uh, standard capacity magazine bands. Those are sort of their centerpieces, but they're also trying to ban advertising firearms, advertising the shooting sports. There's, there's, there's always been, or there has been for quite a while, a a movement, uh, ultra progressive movement to stigmatize gun ownership, demonize gun owners, make it as difficult and expensive to buy a gun, to use a gun, to possess a gun, to defend your family, uh, and that's not stopping, uh, despite Bruin. Now, a lot of these laws that they're passing are being struck down. Believe it or not, some of these advertising bans are being struck down on First Amendment grounds rather than Second Amendment grounds. Interesting. Uh, so we're now using the First Amendment to defend the Second. Which, which is, is unusual. <laughs> well, it's kind of backwards the way you would expect that when they started stifling free speech and your other rights, the Second Amendment is sort of the last option. Uh, but it's part of the cultural war. This is culture side. They want to eliminate the gun culture, eliminate gun ownership, take it out, uh, uh, not let children be exposed to it so that in a generation at least, uh, they'll, they'll, guns won't be accepted. And uh, it, that's, that's, it's, the stakes are as high, that high. I mean, it's about, to me, the Second Amendment is the tip of the spear for freedom and, and, and our heritage. And this is about a fight over where this country is going to go. It's a fight for how we should be governed and how much uh, individual individuality we should uh, be, we should have. And so it's a fight for America's soul. Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely true. Individualism is not revered by the left. In fact, it's reviled by the left. Uh, belonging to a group of believers um, of all kinds of isms, socialism, communism, and, and uh, anti-Americanism is their, that's their tribe. And um, our tribe is one in which we have a melting pot society that uh, is governed by the Constitution. And among those things are the explicit rights of the government not to interfere with your ability to keep and bear arms. And that's just the bottom line. And unfortunately, they don't like it because they want to be in power and if you have a gun, you can fight back. So Gavin Newsom said the other day that the these gun laws that he was signing into law uh, brought to him on a silver platter by every town, as well as his two-thirds majority uh, Democrat legislature. So he's got a super majority delivered on a silver platter to him. And he called the taxes on guns and ammo sin taxes. Right. Yeah. Except that buying a gun, choosing to own a gun to defend yourself or your family is not a sin. And gun owners are not sinners. You don't have a, you know, sin taxes are typically tobacco or alcohol. You don't have a constitutional right uh, to to buy a, a pack of cigarettes or a, or a, or a bottle of a liquor. Uh, you do have a constitutional right to buy a gun. So the, to me, that tax, it's an 11% excise tax on guns and ammunition, it's a, it's a poll tax. It's like charging someone to vote. You can't charge you can't charge people to exercise a constitutional right, at least not anything beyond sort of incidental fees, you know. Uh, but in California, there's $37 basically worth of fees tacked to every gun purchase for a background check and, and all the other things that they stick you with. And now there'll be an 11% tax on top of uh, an existing 11% federal tax under Pittman-Robinson, 
But that money, see, goes to conservation programs. So hunters pay that tax, and then that money is used to build wildlife habitat, habitat and keep hunting sustainable. What they want to use these dollars for, and they're estimating about $150 million would be raised by this tax annually, uh, is uh, basically crime prevention. And, you know, the thing that irks me, <laughs> Calif- right. Wait, 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 wait. Let me just appreciate this for a moment. These are the same people who have been letting criminals out under measures 57, 47, and AB, what's the AB, uh, whatever, the uh, assembly bill that has started this whole ball rolling. They've been letting these guys out. We have hot and cold running crooks all over the place. People get jacked up, retail theft rings. We've got people being murdered, and they're going to use this for crime prevention, are they? Really? Right. I mean, and, and my thought is, you know, California has a $31 billion annual budget. If these programs were such a great idea, and this is your big priority is, you know, gun safety, so-called, of course, none of this is about gun safety, uh, and, and, and school violence prevention, hardening schools. If, if these were such great ideas, why didn't you do them already? I mean, why are you saying we can't do these unless we tax the gun owners to fund these programs, which should be coming out of the general fund. I mean, what gun owners don't pay for shouldn't be singularly charged with trying to pay for uh, the response to gun violence by gangs, which is where most of it happens. Um, so it, it's just, it's not about gun safety. It may turn into a boondoggle for the gun ban advocacy groups uh, that will apply for this money, I'm sure, but it's not about... Uh, is about pricing people out of the market. And that's one of their strategies to try and eliminate gun ownership. Yeah. So they have, they're playing with house money. The government, the government gets to defend itself against lawsuits and to go on the offense in PR strategy in the court of public opinion using other people's money. But you, California Rifle and Pistol Association, Chuck Michelle, you have to raise the money to fight these things. And they just want to bleed the other side dry. Right. And, and it's no secret in the, in the halls of the Capitol that that's part of their strategy. They've, they want to overwhelm us so that we can't possibly fight every battle that they, that they make it, you know, that they put out there for us to fight. And so that, the good thing that's come out of this is that the gun rights advocacy groups, Gun Owners of America, Second Amendment Foundation, Gun Owners of California... Uh, Second Amendment Law Center, a number of other groups have kind of come together now, and uh, we're sort of sharing our resources so that we can make our dollars go, our donation dollars go farther, uh, and fi- and fight more of these laws. So we've already filed, for example, on the uh, Senate Bill Two, the the Sensitive Places expansion. CRPA and GOA and SAF. Already filed a lawsuit. We filed it before Newsom even signed it. We were the first to file two weeks before uh, he even signed it because we knew he was going to sign it. And so that we just didn't serve. We served the state, you know, an hour after he signed it. And uh, we've already got a briefing schedule set up to try and put a stop to that in the in the United States District Court. So you know, we're, that's the, the the sad thing about this, or the frustrating thing about this, is that it, the court system. Even when you go in for an injunction and you don't take a case all the way through till trial, uh, you know, taking a case going through through a trial in a in a any court can take a year, two, three years. 
you know. So you go in right up front for an injunction that shortens that process to 60 or 90 days. But then inevitably the state appeals, the attorneys general appeal, and uh, then you have to litigate on appeal. And so we have several cases in the court of appeals now. Most the one that people have heard the most about is the Duncan case, which we got a great ruling from the United States District Court in San Diego, Judge Benitez, uh, striking down that magazine again. This you know. That case had a tortured procedural path. It, we, we won in front of a Judge Benitez. We went up to the Court of Appeals. We won in front of a three-judge panel. Then they took the case on bonk for an 11-judge panel. We lost 7-4. We took it to the United States Supreme Court. The Supreme Court sat on it until after they ruled on Bruin. And then they, they vacated the lower court's ruling and sent it back down to them and said, you need to reconsider your ruling in, in light of what we just said in Bruin. The Ombog panel sent it back down to Judge Benitez, and he gave the state every chance to try and put historical analogs in there. Remember, that's the test. You know, the, the, the Bruin test is, is the conduct that's being regulated covered by the text of the Second Amendment? And almost everything is. That's the right to keep, which is possess and carry, which is and bear, which is carry. Almost everything is covered by that, including, by the way, range activities, accessories, gunsmithing, hunting. Uh, uh, target shooting. Uh, it's not just guns for self-defense. It's it's all the related things that go into firearms ownership in this country is all covered by the Second Amendment. So once that's covered, then the burden shifts to the government to try and find some old law around the time that they passed the Bill of Rights in 1791 that is similar to a modern law that would indicate that the founding fathers would have in, would have accepted a modern law uh, when they passed the Second Amendment. So, th so the struggle then for states is to try and find these laws, these historical laws, that would indicate that the modern law is constitutional. And there are no gun bans in historical uh, in history. They, they never banned a whole class of magazines or a whole class of semi-automatic firearms. Or you know, they they would regulate sometimes where a gun could be, uh, uh, you know, and and how it might have to be carried. Uh, but they never did a flat out ban, which is what many of the states are trying to do now. And they never had restrictions on where you're, where you could carry a firearm, generally speaking. They could never uh, get away with condemning half the state as sensitive so that you were banned from possessing firearms there back when we passed the, sec the, the Second Amendment. You know, I always kind of wonder about, you know, because First Amendment, that's the most revered amendment of the Constitution. It's number one for a reason. And of course, it has several different portions to it. But it, there is a an allowance by the government to conduct, uh, you know, put constraints on it, time, place and manner constraints. Uh, so what kinds of time, place and manner or whatever the analogs are to the Second Amendment, could there be or are there currently on guns? Well, sometimes historically, you mean? Just now. I mean, what are they doing now? Well, oh, or you well, can go historically now. But, uh, well, the big thing is, uh, you know, uh, with uh, public carry is concealed or unconcealed or open. So there were circumstances historically where the founding fathers said, you got to carry it open or you can't carry it open. And so we think modern day laws could you know, the legislature could say it's got to be carried concealed or it's got to be carried openly, but they can't ban both. You have to be able to carry it somehow. So, uh, uh, and, and in some instances, you have to be able to carry it openly. 
especially in you know lesser populated areas. So, so, but that's the kind of restriction. That's the kind of of manner of carry that the government might have the authority to regulate. But they can't just simply say, you know, your your permit is only good, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, in your house and your front yard, and you know. And the other thing they try and do is we call it the vampire provision is uh, say that in order for you to take a gun into private property, that private property, like a retail store, has to be posted that says guns allowed. Well, the reality is gun retailer or stores, retailers, are not going to post a sign that says guns allowed. They, they, if they don't want guns there, they would post a sign that said no guns allowed. But, and, they, and the legislators know that. That's why they want to make people post the guns allowed sign because they know many people won't. So effectively, they ban it from most uh, public places. So this is the that games just, they play. Yeah, that was, wasn't that just one of the many signed into law by Gavin Newsom just oh, recently? Oh, yeah, he signed almost two dozen. So, so that is a, an opt-in on the part of uh, the, say, uh, the different markets and you know any anybody with private property they can they can put a sign on it's sort of like a take right. on how many you know people put up signs saying no guns in this house or we don't we don't agree with whatever and you know, yeah keep going because <laughs> they'll go to your house first because you won't be right, able to exactly. fight back criminals yeah. but so they've decided to make this a, a big joke and that means that uh, company or these companies or private citizens or what have you have to opt in to say, well, I I allow guns. Now, where did that come from? Was it just born of that, uh, you know, the jokes made by the right about these signs that people put in their lawns or or what? No, no, no. I'm sure this was something that the you know Bloomberg's legal team came up with. I mean, uh, uh, or at least facilitated uh, because they know it will effectively mean that most private places, you won't be able to take your, your CCW will be no good. And they're trying to make as many places as possible gun-free zones. And because they know that, you know, people will not be inclined to post a gun, a, a sign that says you can bring your gun in here. Uh, I mean, you know, some places will, but the, your average per the average store who's not really engaged in the issue, uh, they're not going to go out of their way to post that sign. And, and Newsom and his, you know, political politician cronies in rigged Sacramento. They knew that. This is designed to just make it so your CCW is effectively useless. And then they and then they try and put a bunch of new qualifications in place before you can get a CCW. They're going to review your social media. They're going to you need three character letter references. You need, you know, like they just put so and they're going to and it's going to cost more. So they just put so many hurdles in the way and, and so much red tape. They want to red tape the ripe to death. Again, it's all about, every, they want to try every angle to try and make it as difficult and expensive uh, to, to, to acquire and possess, possess a firearm, and then as effectively, make that firearm as effectively useless as they can for self-defense. And they're creating victims in the process. That's the sad, the terrifying thing about this. You know, we always hear about, and we sympathize with the victims of violent criminals. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm I'm a parent. I don't want my sons getting hurt in school or anywhere else. Uh, but if you don't give people the opportunity to choose to possess the most effective tool to defend themselves and their families, you're you're disempowering them and empowering the criminal because they will always have the gun. They couldn't care less about 
whether they carry it in a gun-free zone. Uh, so we're at a, the, the, these laws put us at a disadvantage and, and cost, cost the lives of victims who can't defend themselves. In Oregon, they're talking about, of course, there's a case that's been adjudicated, just finished up in Hardy County in Oregon. I'm sure you're very familiar with this, as well as uh, having a federal court opinion, which looked like it was written by the Fonnie Willis of the uh, judicial, uh, federal judicial bench. But, um, but permit to purchase, is that legal? Is that constitutional? Well, it's a license. It's a license. Uh, there's a challenge to Illinois' uh, firearm owner identification card going on in the FOID card going on in Illinois right now. So that's arguably it's not legal. Uh, you can't read. There's never been historical laws that registered firearms that never. There's never been now background checks. Uh, uh, the, the the there were some laws that disarmed people who were violent or showed a tendency to be violent, uh, but they were individualized. So this is what this is this kind of gets you into the Rahimi case that's in front of the Supreme Court right now. And as as we I've been sitting here this morning watching all the amicus briefs being filed in the Supreme Court, uh, there's I think 14 so far on our side. Today's the deadline. And uh so this is the this is the big question. This is why Rahimi becomes sort of a double edged sword because he's not the poster child for for gun rights by any by any means, uh, but that law and the law against cannabis users having firearms and uh, certain misdemeanors, nonviolent felonies, all these other classifications. I mean, this the only historical analogs for these are where we disarm Native American Indians, indigenous uh, peoples, and freed slaves. So there were racist uh, times where we passed racist. Well, by the way, neither of those were really around the time of 1791, but but but. The, the, the government, when it wanted to disempower uh, a politically unpopular group so they could steamroll over them, uh, would ban the gun from them from possessing firearms. So uh, it, what, our, what we've argued in our briefs is that it needs to be individualized. You can't just ban a class because it's so easy to just create a new class. Uh, you know, what are we going to have? Uh, uh, paramilitary patriots, you know, Trump supporters. Uh, you know, I mean, who's going to be banned as a class next? Uh, so that, that the stakes are high in Rahimi, though, because he's not a sympathetic character and he, bad facts can make bad law. Yeah, exactly. He's a domestic violence guy. Is that right? I can't remember. He had a restraining the order out against him. I yeah. mean, he's 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 look, he can't own guns anyway because he's got cr criminal cases and convictions, mm -hmm. you know, that prohibit him. But the, he had a restraining order against him, and he possessed a firearm despite the fact that he had that restraining order. And so they charged him with a federal crime for possessing a firearm when you're subject to that kind of a restraining order. Uh, but see, the, some of the briefs in this case point out how that process is abused. Uh, there really is, I mean, every family lawyer knows how to take advantage of restraining orders to try and get an advantage in a divorce proceeding. Uh, so it's it's... Again, it needs to be individualized, and whoever's making some kind of an accusation against you needs to swear under penalty of perjury that what they're saying is true. So there's some consequences if they lie. Uh, but uh, or, or are there consequences? Well, <laughs> maybe not. But Biden. you know, at least in theory, it'll give them pause before they swear out that uh, that you're dangerous. Uh, but the point is, we don't want to we don't want to give firearms to 
people who are dangerous and, and violent, but we don't want to take it away from people who aren't. So you have to determine whether or not people are or are not violent on an individual basis and then restrict their rights because of that based on, and you have to give them due process. Yeah. Unlike most red flag laws, there's no due process. I mean, this, you're asking for due process. Uh, it, that brings us, of course, to the Hunter Biden situation in which he has uh, uh, said he's not guilty of lying on his his federal forms to get possession of a, a revolver, although in his, his uh, notorious pictures on his website, or his, not his website, but his laptop, he's shown with a semi-automatic. I'm, I'm told that that supposedly is a fake gun, but I'm not so sure. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Is that what he's now claiming? Well, that was that, a toy? Well, Miranda Devine said that she has got the first look at the laptop, and she said that she understood it to be a, uh, you know, like a, an imposter gun, what have you. Uh, but no one else has said it except her. I'm not saying well, that she's I, not... Well, I, I, I haven't heard that, and I doubt it's true. I mean, I don't think he was playing with toy guns as he was fraternizing with prostitutes and oh, doing cocaine. But, uh, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, here's nasty. the thing. That, that, that ca those kind of cases are commonly filed. It's called a lie-and-buy case. Mm -hmm. A lot of times state courts do it, but the ATF certainly does it. And so, there's, you know, yeah, he should be prosecuted for that. And all the other things that there's evidence to show that he uh, broke the law in doing. But um, but, but, he, but, wouldn't you say that uh, he's part of a class of individuals for whom buying a weapon is out of bounds because he was a crackhead and, and he's not a crackhead anymore? And why should he suffer the consequences of his previous year to four bad Well, that's, that's the argument that they're making about cannabis users that are saying, yes. you know, you can't prohibit someone from owning a gun because... And so, ironically, uh, Biden is probably going to make the argument that the statute is unconstitutional as part of his cr defense in the criminal case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you support that? It's part of the same argument that's being held in Rahimi right now. It has to be individualized. So is uh, uh, Hunter Biden uh, uh, potentially violent? I don't know. I haven't heard a lot of evidence about him being violent. I have all kinds of evidence about him being crooked. But uh, yeah. I, I don't know about... Uh, oh, he gets crazy. I mean, he, he, he's, he gets angry. But I don't know that he's ever. Well, he used to. He used to when his, when he was going out with his sister in law turned uh, girlfriend. Ooh, uh, he was. He definitely exhibited symptoms of emotional abuse at the very least, to the extent that she felt that she needed to get rid of that gun, and she's the one who threw it in the dumpster. Now, you know, cocaine addiction may be a bit different from marijuana use. I don't know. But uh, there, there are going to be potentially uh, gradients of this. You know, if someone's convicted of a violent felony, maybe that's easier to disarm them based on that classification. But there's lots of felonies that are not violent, that don't show, don't indicate that someone might be violent. Uh, and then there's also a lot of misdemeanors that carry gun prohibitions that, you know, so... This is this is probably the stickiest part of the debate that's going on right now is where do you draw that line? And the gun ban lobby is hoping that some of the justices will take this opportunity to scale back the Bruin test 
that they just passed a year ago so that it'll be easier to find laws to be constitutional. And so um, it's, it, you know, that's why I say it's a double-edged sword. If, on the other hand, if they clarify what the Bruin test meant, because as I said, every town law and all the attorney general's offices that are working with them and coming up with these creative ways to twist the Bruin opinion and misapply the, what's supposed to be the Bruin test so that more laws can be upheld. Uh, you know, that, that's causing a lot of confusion and we're getting some bad rulings because the judges are not straightening it out, which is exactly what they did after Heller. It's the same, the same thing. The courts twisted that implied and imposed a, the wrong test uh, by which lots of laws could be upheld. And that's what they're trying to do with Bruin. They just want to twist that ruling. So if the court takes the opportunity in the Rahimi case to straighten that out, then we could be seeing a lot more and a lot faster wins uh, because the, the methodology will be settled. Strict scrutiny was the game changer for the Bruin decision, though, right? Well, no. Strict scrutiny has been rejected. I mean, that's what we tried to argue in Heller because they went to this interest balancing. Remember, in certain constitutional right contexts, like the First Amendment, you have rational basis, intermediate scrutiny, strict scrutiny. Under strict scrutiny, almost everything gets struck down. Rational oh, basis. Oh, I have it exactly backwards. Oops, I, I messed up last week. So, yeah, no, uh, under, okay. So, under rational basis, almost everything is found to be constitutional. Gotcha. Gotcha, but those gotcha, levels, gotcha. those tiers of review, that's where the courts used Heller to wrap us around the axle. They weren't supposed to use to do this interest balancing test, right. which is what each of those are, uh, but they did. And so they got Heller all wrong, and Bruin made it clear that they got Heller all wrong, but now they're getting Bruin all wrong. On purpose. Yes. Because mm -hmm. the court said, no more interest balancing, no more tiers of scrutiny. It's all... One step is it many. covered by the text of the Second Amendment? Right. And and is there a historical law that would suggest that the founders would have tolerated the modern law? And that should be fairly simple. I mean, the, the tricky part should only be what historical laws can be deemed, oh, excuse me, what, yeah, what historical laws are deemed to be sufficiently similar and how are they similar to a modern law such that the modern law will will survive, will be held to be constitutional. And that's going to be another area that's being twisted uh, by the, by the uh, attorneys, by the states that are pushing these laws, because that's, because that's how they're trying to win. They know they can't win if they, if they faithfully applied Bruin. Which is why Benitez, Judge Benitez, in his federal court opinion in California with respect to the magazine limitations, laid out all of the histor history uh, pertaining to magazines and just and the only thing he came up with were the only constraints on magazines in history was I can't recall what the year was, but it was a certain year and the government said you can have you have to have more than 24 rounds because you're no good to us otherwise. Right. So you, you have to muster. <laughs> you have to muster with 20 rounds at least uh, to be part of the of the of the organized militia. So yeah, it's not like we've ever tried to limit the number of of, of rounds. And Judge Benitez just did an actual, absolutely uh, brilliant, artful, and well documented job in in pointing out how full of baloney the state was. You know, they were trying to claim that that you don't use a firearm for self defense unless you actually pull the trigger, 
Like I have a I have a handgun in my quick access open in the dark lock box next to my bed right now, and I'm using it right now. You know, criminals are deterred because they know that there may be a gun in a household, uh, and they're de- and and just because I'm not I don't have the gun in my hand walking around with it doesn't mean I'm not using it for self defense. But the state's trying to. This is like Bill Clinton saying it depends what the meaning of is is. You know, they're trying to, to, to twist what the meaning of use is so that they can say that only certain guns are protected because the Supreme Court has at least made it clear that guns in common use for self-defense are protected. But that was just because in Heller and McDonald, you were dealing with handguns that were being possessed for self-defense. Nothing in the Bruin or Heller decision says that self-defense is the only right protected by the Second Amendment. So, And nothing in the Heller decision says that uh, only guns in common use are constitutionally protected. So they're, you know, you know, might have some $10,000 match-grade uh, uh, precision target rifle, and there may only be a 1,000 of them in the country, but they're never used by criminals for, to commit a crime. Those are still protected, even though they're not, they're in common, they're commonly used for lawful purposes. The common lawful purpose is target shooting, even though it's not common in terms of there's not 200,000 of them in the country, or, or as, as there are in the case of stun guns, which we saw in the Catano case, or, or uh, 20 to 30 million of them, as we have with semi-autos, or, or a couple of hundred million, as you may have with magazines that hold over 10 rounds. Uh, so the, these are all the things, and this is not t- particularly unusual. These are all the things, the issues that were left unresolved or un, uh, unclear, or at least muddyable by the states who want to confuse the issue. Sure, sure. And maybe in, the in, Supreme Court will clear that up in Ramey. In the Measure 114 case in the state of Oregon, you had the government officials relying on information based on newspaper stories and statistics, not by the FBI, I don't recall, but they were very uh, incomplete statistics showing use of force, defensive force by uh, or defensive use of a weapon by people, just Joe Schmo, people like us. And the the statistics seemed a little, well, uh, dumb. They didn't appear to be complete. Uh, they, uh, as you said, only included people who had fired their weapon and that sort of thing. So have those numbers been tossed out uh, in every other court? Uh, well, they've been criticized, and Justice uh, Judge Benitez rejected the science that the experts' testimony that they tried to use to justify the magazine ban. But this is another part of the fight that we're in. They they hold out these historians and and empirical scientists, and and you know the, they cook the books. They use these statistics. They weaponize statistics. They twist those as well. Cherry pick data. Uh, to try and justify their laws, that's where folks like uh, Gun Facts, uh, Guy Smith at Gun Facts, and John Lott over at the Crime Prevention Research Center, and some other groups that are, you know, calling, actually looking at how those studies were done and why the conclusions that they're drawing are not legitimate. That's another battle we have to fight. You know, a battle of the of the of the statistics and how they're being mis- misconstrued and mis- mis- misrepresented. 
let's um, listen to Gavin Newsom talking about how we have to do this, all of these new gun laws, which restrict the use of guns on the part of gun owners and for the children. It is it's a pretty sick thing that we can just casually say it. And it's and we do casually say that the number one killer of our kids is guns and and it's sort of just accepted and not everybody's sort of stopping saying, well, hold on, can you repeat that? Or wait a second, what more can I hold? I don't want to talk about anything else. We need to solve for that, that it's just somehow so normalized. It's a profound moment. And so I am grateful for this moment. I'm grateful for the many moments that we've had on this stage together in terms of advancing gun safety. Uh, but I'm looking forward to raising uh, the bar of expectation and performance. Is that a true statement that the number one killer of children is guns? No, no. What's a child? This is how they twist that one. You know, gangs start recruiting people at ten kids at ten years old, and you're jumped in at around fourteen. We have a huge gang violence problem, and and but do you consider a an eighteen year old a child, a twenty one year old a child? They're the ones shooting each other, mm-hmm. uh, so they've they've twisted that uh, in several different ways. I mean, I thought you know, accidents also, were the number one cause. Huh? I thought accidents were the number one cause, but I, you know. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, You know, uh, bathtub drownings or pool drownings are are more more frequent. It's not, it's not a, uh, 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 kids are being killed by some, in some school, schoolyard shootout. It's gangs are killing each other over the drug trade. And, and that is a, a, not, not a unique California problem, but it's certainly exacerbated in San Francisco and Los Angeles and the the, the, the cities where the gangs uh, are are basically most uh, uh, headquartered. The gun lobby of which you're a part is always put opposed to uh, public safety. You're always opposed to public safety. How dare you? Guns kill people. It's gun, quote unquote, gun violence. They're not guns that somebody made like you made an experimental plane. It's a ghost gun. I mean, they use all sorts of scary language and nomenclature to turn the tide of public opinion against the people. Oh, yeah. And that's that's because they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars on PR firms helping them shape their message. That's why you come up with terms like assault weapon or high capacity magazine or Saturday night special you know, all that term gun safety, it's all, it's, they got rid of gun control. You know, yeah. it used to be the handgun control incorporated. Now it's the Brady Center. They changed all those names because they didn't want to alienate people who might be inclined to believe in the right to self-defense. Uh, and they wanted to make it about gun safety. Well, it's not about gun safety. It's about gun bans and, and civilian disarmament. And the, the flip side of that is you're making us less safe because you're taking away our ability to have a chance. You know, as the saying goes, when seconds count, police are only minutes away. Well, during those few minutes, it's up to you to defend yourself uh, when, when you're in the thick of things. It hits the shan. So, yes. uh, so part of their strategy is to take a gun apart and then to identify each part as not part of the gun. 
right? I mean, right, the magazine right. is not part of We actually had a Washington state federal judge say, well, I didn't, I didn't know that the magazine was a part of a gun. It doesn't seem to be part of a gun to me. And, and of course, that's just not, that's nonsense. It's like saying- It's you, just as much a part of the gun as the barrel or the trigger is. Can you have a, you know, a, Fast functioning trigger ban, <laughs> you know. Yeah. How about a uh, how about a uh, or, you know you have to have the right certain number of pounds of pressure on the trigger or a, too heavy of a barrel or too light of a barrel ban? I mean, where the where does this end? They can regulate these features if they can regulate these features. They can ban the gun, and they know it. So we're really hopeful that the Supreme Court will 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 clarify and strengthen Bruin in their Amy case, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, the other parts of the gun that are being that are at issue right now are what? Uh, well, probably the pistol brace. That's a big one. Uh, uh, the the uh, bump stocks. Um, but uh, also, I mean, in California, they're trying to say that unless your gun has micro stamping, it's it can't be sold, and unless it has a magazine disconnect lock and a loaded chamber indicator, it can't be sold. Uh, so, in in addition to saying certain features that your gun may have can be prohibited, they now have to, they're now trying to say, well, you have to have certain features in order for the gun to be legal. And the manufacturers can't, you know, they, they don't understand, the gun bad lobby doesn't understand. You have to completely retool your factory to change the assembly process for a firearm to add one of these new features in there if it's not in there to begin with. So it's, you know, but, 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 Peripheral, peripheral bans. I mean, there's also gun shows. They want to ban gun shows, gun ranges. They're going after them on lead and 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 ha, environmental safety, safety issues. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. That is amazing. I'm not surprised. I, I, and I they're actually... going after. They're going after hunting. They, they don't want to have any kind of. They want to go to. It's it's called the rewilding movement. They want to go back to having so many predator species. That the game species are controlled by the predators, never mind that the predator species gets out of control, so that hunting is unsustainable. So you, there's no need for hunting anymore. Uh, they, 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 they're attacking hunting, they're attacking gun ranges, they're attacking gun shows, any place where people can get together and talk about guns and see they might be fun, uh, you know, go to the range. Uh, they're attacking gun retailers, putting all kinds of restrictions and burdensome requirements on them, so it costs more to sell a gun, so they can raise, have to raise the price of the gun to make for the, the consumer, so less people can afford it. it it's it's a broad-based attack on every aspect of gun ownerships, and again, it's culture side. It's designed to get rid of gun ownership in a generation uh, or sooner, uh, so that the there's <laughs> you know there's no there's no Way to stop tyranny at the end of the day. If it gets to that point, this is what we fought a revolutionary war about. They, they want to own the message. They want to name the terms. They want to keep your children from learning about gun safety. And I noticed that on your website, the California Rifle and Pistol Association website recently had a, a decision that allowed, if you will, the gun clubs and youth-oriented gun clubs to be at least still in business. To, what, to advertise. What? They were trying to ban any advertising, basically, that promoted the shooting sports. And mm -hmm. thankfully, we, we've got that struck down. We'll see if they try and take that, you know, to, a, to an 11-judge panel. But uh, again, this is, this, is where the, this is the underlying battle that's going on in all these cases. 
It's about the methodology. And the Ninth Circuit's probably going to resolve this issue first, either for or against us, unless Rahimi clarifies it. But Rahimi won't come out until June, next June. So we're not, we're, the, the Duncan decision and a couple others in the uh, Ninth Circuit will be decided before then. And they'll either get it right or they'll get it wrong. And some of those judges are already, they're already fighting with each other over this. Yes. Uh, Tell me about what happened in the Ninth Circuit. Well, the, the, the Attorney General sought a stay of Judge Benitez's injunction, which would have stopped the enforcement of the magazine capacity limitation law. Uh, and so they went to the Ninth Circuit and said, please stay this. The Ninth Circuit said, well, we're going to take this. Rather, Remember I said they, when it came back from the Supreme Court, it went to the en banc panel. But on the way up, it went Judge Benitez, three-judge panel, en banc panel, Supreme Court, then back down to the en banc panel, then back down to Judge Benitez. Well, the en banc panel decided, rather than having it go back through a three-judge panel again, as the Which normal, they normal, they'd take it straight to the en banc panel. And one of the judges uh, on, the, on the en banc panel said, why are you doing that? I mean, and he basically said, the reason you're doing it is because you, you know the three-judge panel would uphold Benitez's decision, and you don't like that. So there, there's infighting. There's some very hardcore... Second Amendment supporters on the Ninth Circuit. It used to be heavily stacked Democrats, but the Trump administration got a few more judges in there that have evened up the odds. So, um, but but yes, there's obviously a very split, uh, a, a big split of opinion uh, amongst the judges on the Ninth Circuit. So it's it's not done yet, even though it should be. You know, I'm getting to the point where when these people, and I mean these people in government, begin. Uh, passing laws or, uh, you know, and becoming tyrannical uh, about our rights, uh, that they should bear some liability for bringing an unconstitutional uh, law into being. Once the Constitution is clarified, the problem is right now they can make a colorable argument that would defend them from violating their oath. But uh, even though, you know, to us is frivolous, uh, to them, you know, they, I, I, some of them have a good faith belief that they should be able to ban guns, and it's not a constitutional violation. Look at Newsom, uh, though he's coming to terms with this. This is him pushing his 28th Amendment, which would basically eliminate, effectively eliminate the Second Amendment because it would take all the teeth out of it. Uh, so, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're grasping at straws to try and get, and, and, and that made up, you know, the election, elections have consequences. If the election changes the the, the composition of red states or uh, the Congress or the presidency, you know, some of this stuff is going to get pushed through. There might be some new Supreme Court justices. The gun ban lobby is playing the long game here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, I you know, that's why they're letting all the illegal aliens in, aren't they? Oh, to get the votes, yeah, they they know that they give stuff free, give people free stuff, they'll vote for you. You know, we know that, especially in California. California just lost a congressional seat, and is it is on par to if this continues, uh, if people continue to flee the state, lose uh, potentially five more. But not if all these people are coming in and irrespective of whether or not they ever get their citizenship, if they don't, if even if they don't get their citizenship, they still are represented by congressional representatives. And that means that the 
numbers of people are what accord the congressional seats. So you've got floods of people coming in, even though American citizens left. You've got floods of illegal aliens coming in. They're still going to be counted in the census. They're still going to be counted for congressional seats. They will get representation and dilute the vote of those people who are legally able to vote. It is wrong and it's unconstitutional. And yet here it is. I'm going to let somebody else fight that battle. I agree with you, but I got my hands full with the Second Amendment right now. Right on. I know. Yeah, there you go. Well, Chuck Michelle, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on today. And I thank hope you we can for do helping it again. get the word out. It's real important, very important that folks know about what's going on, that they know that this fight is about that methodology. That methodology, if it's nailed down, is going to be a game changer for us. And uh, the California Rifle and Pistol Association and the Second Amendment Law Center are both out there on the front lines, along with our strategic partners at GOA and SAF and other groups. Uh, so we're we're doing the best we can. Uh, if folks can support those groups, uh, you know, we, we get by on... Bloomberg writes a check for a million dollars. We get by on millions of people sending in $20. Well, actually not millions, but you whatever you can give, <laughs> we we appreciate it and, and we'll put it to good use. Yeah, send money. Dear mom and dad, send money. I hate, to, I, hate to, I hate to have to put my hand out, but you know, I mean, right now there's so many lawsuits, and and I give we you know we don't we give the nonprofit rate to these groups, mm -hmm. uh, so and we every nobody's getting a big salary, nobody's there's no uh, uh, executive director uh, you know taking home uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's all we're very frugal, and and money is. The funds that we that we get from people who believe in our cause, we spend very wisely and very effectively. Well, Godspeed. Thank you. Thank you. Have you back anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen and give me a great review plus of course subscribe to the podcast it makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs and it makes us easier to find please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff yeah we're still there using the names victoria taft or the adult in the room podcast on MeWe, parlor minds facebook twitter and instagram thanks to one a cast for imaging editing and production the fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed. <laughs>